Welcome to the Struggling Pastors Podcast, real conversations about ministry and life. My name is Tian Doan, and I am a struggling pastor. I apologize for the uh, hiatus. It's been a while since I, I uh, uh, posted a podcast because life has been crazy. But um, I wanted to come back and, and uh, talk about something that you all may be experiencing. Um, maybe some frustration. And uh, well, this is a story. Let me go ahead and, and um, uh, kind of lay out my topic for today. You know, I, I love the church. I've been, I've been dedicated to the church my whole adult life. I've been serving the body of Christ since I was 22 years old. And um, yeah, I, I, I've dedicated my life to serving the church. But I, I, I realized that, you know, right now we are facing a, a huge problem in the church today. And I, I like to address that problem. You know, each week I am, I am having more and more conversations with, with committed Christian people who are increasingly um, growing in their dissatisfaction with the church. They are becoming more and more frustrated. And, and, it's, and you know, they range from all types of people. It's uh, younger millennials, Gen Zers, but but not just not just the young people. Because sometimes when young people have issues, we you know we say, oh, they're just immature. Um, but but it's not just young people. I, I there are seasoned, mature Christians, um, former leaders, and friends of mine, uh, even some pastors who are just growing in their dissatisfaction with the church. You know. Um, Many of these frustrated Christians are they're 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 leaving the church, or they have all these frustrations, all these uh, dissatisfaction. They're just they're they're. Some people say, "Hey, I'm done with the church. I'm done with the church." You know, actually, that was a, a conversation that I had with with one Christian person who, um, you know, this person was passionate, his passionate follower of Jesus, uh, had Christian tattoos all over. You know, he, he served in the church, and I was just asking, like, "Hey, um, are." Uh, are you going to church right now? What, what church are you going to? And he just looked at me and, and kind of shook his head and said, man, I'm, I'm done with church. And, you know, I, I could feel, I could feel this frustration. But the question I, I want to try to address, and maybe this is something that you're, you're facing. Maybe you have people in your church or, or maybe your family members or your friends who are just, you know, they're dissatisfied and frustrated with the church. And the question I, I like to try to answer is this is is it okay for a Christian to be dissatisfied and frustrated with the church? I mean, is that all right? Can you be a a loving Jesus followers follower and still be frustrated with with the church? And well, this is my answer. The answer I would give is yes. Of course, it's okay to be frustrated with the church because I mean, if you're looking for an example, the head of the church our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he gets frustrated with the church. You know, if you read um, Revelation 2 and 3, we see that Jesus has some really harsh words to the churches in in Asia Minor. Uh, There are seven churches. um, For six out of the seven of those churches, Jesus actually rebukes them. He says, I'm not happy with you. You know, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to come in and I'm going to remove your lampstand, basically saying, I'm going to, if you don't fix that mess, I'm just going to have to shut you down. And we see that, yeah, it's, uh, it's okay to be frustrated 
and and dissatisfied and disappointed uh, with the church. And so, so if you have people right now in your church that are feeling that, or you know maybe they left your church, or you have family members or other people that you know of who are just frustrated with the church, like how, how do you how do you take care of them? How what, what do you say to those people who are just done with the church? Um, so I, I think that's a problem that that we need to address. Like, what do we do uh, about the level of dissatisfaction that people have at the state of the church right now? Like, like currently, I I actually think it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. I that I mean, the level of our dissatisfaction at the state of the church today is a huge problem, and the problem is actually not what you think it is. Because I, I think the problem is that we are, um, it, I, I think the problem is not that we are too dissatisfied. I actually think the problem is that we are not dissatisfied enough. Because, I mean, let, let, let's just face it. The church right now is is a mess. And many Christians, we have become comfortable with how things are. We're content and we're happy. And most most Christians just, you know what? They think the church is, is great the way it is. They like it how, how um, the way it is. And, you know, I mean, look at what we've become known for. I mean, if you were to ask anyone outside the church what their opinion of us, uh, of us is, I mean, what are you going to say? They're going to say, you know, they're going to talk about our politics. They're like, man, you guys are just political. You're selfish. You only care about yourself. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're tribal. You're judgmental. You're unloving. I mean, man, Christians are hypocritical. They're, all they care about is power and money. You know, Christians, Christians today, I mean, man, you guys, you, you guys are just known for what you're against. You're angry and combative. You're defensive. You know, today, Christians are more known for their stance on politics and culture wars, for 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 believing and spreading conspiracy theories than, than we are um, known for for the gospel. Like we focus on these other things. We focus on on politics and culture and we don't even focus on the gospel, right? I mean, I mean, look look at what the church has become known for today. I mean, this is not how it used to be. It wasn't always this way. I mean, we used to be known as a people of love, of of, of generosity, a people who who were united, that we care for one another. Like the church used to be known for reaching out to our neighbors, of caring for the needy, of advocating for the powerless, for, for being the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. You know, we, we, were, we used to be known for welcoming the stranger, for, for, for loving our enemies, right? So right now, like the church, we're known, like we're, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're talking about our rights and about, you know, these are enemies, like, we used to be known for, for being a people who would endure persecution and, and pray for those who persecute us, right? So, I mean, we, we used to be proclaimers of the gospel, and, and now what are we talking about? We're talking about politics, and we're talking about all these culture war issues. Like, we, we were once salt and light. You know, Jesus tells us that we need to be a city on a hill that would—, would guide the way for those who are lost. And, and I'm afraid right now that we are salt that has lost its saltiness. And the question Jesus asks is, how can it be made salty again? 
And, and so if, if you are a person, maybe you yourself, that you're dissatisfied at how the church is going right now, you're dissatisfied at the state of the church, you know, that might not be a bad thing. Actually, I don't think that, I think that is a good thing. Uh, because I, I don't know how you can be a biblical, faithful Christian right now and and be completely satisfied at the state of the church. Like, because this is not how it's supposed to be. So if so, I, I think the real problem is not that we are too dissatisfied at the state of the church. I think the real problem is that we are not dissatisfied enough. So what 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 I want to encourage you, like if you're a pastor or a leader in a church, um, or you know, if you know people who are dissatisfied with the church, you know what? You know what I, I think we need to do? That I think we need to encourage people to be more dissatisfied with the church, not less. Like I, I want people to be bothered by how far the church has fallen. I want people to to be frustrated and grieved about how things are today because this is not how Jesus intended it to be. Right? I mean, I sometimes I just get frustrated and mad at what the church has become and what the church has has become known for in the world. I I, I think we focus on the wrong thing. Right? I I we we focus we look outward to the world and we focus on what's wrong with the world. We get mad. We're like, man, the world is doing this and that, but we ignore what's wrong with us. Right. We ignore, I mean, that's hypocrisy. And and I want us to grow in our dissatisfaction with the church. You know, I want us to be more dissatisfied with the state of the church today, but I want to make sure that our dissatisfaction is not a destructive dissatisfaction, but that it is a productive dissatisfaction. So I think there's two types of dissatisfaction. I, I, I think there's a productive dissatisfaction and a destructive dissatisfaction. I mean, sometimes it's, it, it, it's hard to tell them apart. Sometimes it, they look the same on the surface, but, but it can't, those two types of dissatisfaction can't be more different. One is good and healthy, and the other one is bad and destructive, right? So, like, let's talk about uh, productive dissatisfaction. Like, productive dissatisfaction is, is saying, you know what? Things are a mess. We got to tear things down, but so that we can make things better, so that we could improve it, we can renovate it. You know, we got to fix some things. It's a mess. You know, there's no denying that it's a mess, but we need to... We need to clean this stuff up. We need to, we, you know, we need, we need to tear it down so we can fix it. That's productive dissatisfaction. But a lot of what I see today is destructive dissatisfaction. People who say, "Hey, the church is a mess. We need to tear this thing down, and we need gotta light it on fire." You know, we just gotta, we just gotta blow it up. I, I disagree. I disagree. Right? It, it, um, imagine this. Compare the church. Let's compare the church to to an old house. You guys watch those uh, renovation shows, right? It, compare the church to an old house that you inherit from your grandparents, right? You, you go into this house. It's old. It smells funny. It has a different ugly wallpaper in every room. You know, the 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 there's parts like the wood. Some parts of the wood is, is rotted out. Has termites. It has moldy walls. The 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 electricity, the electrical doesn't work. You know, there's lead paint, there's there's asbestos in the tiles, and there's all these different things. And we look at this church and we're like, you know what? 
this, I mean, we look at this house and we say, this house, you know, this, this house is a mess, but it has good bones. Like we got to, let's make this better. We got to tear this stuff out so that we can fix it and we make it better. And we got to bring it back to the way it was intended to look. Right. So, so that's, that's a picture of, of productive dissatisfaction is, is to say, man, this place is a mess. Let's tear it down so that we can make it better. So what, what I would do is this, I, if, if you're a pastor and you have these people in the church or people that you know of who are dissatisfied with the state of the church right now, I think one of the important things is to get them to, to assess, is their dissatisfaction, is it productive or is it destructive, right? Because I think it's a good thing that people are dissatisfied with the state of the church. I think, I think the bigger problem is that if everyone would be looking at the church to say, hey, hey, it looks great to me, um, I think that's even a bigger problem, right? Like, so, so how do you know if you have productive dissatisfaction versus destructive? I mean, look, look in your hands. What do you have in your hands? Like, do you have a broom or do you have a Molotov cocktail? Like, do you want to clean things up or do you want to just set it on fire? Right. So I, I meet so many dissatisfied Christians or Christians who are dissatisfied with the church. And I have all these conversations. Some of them are friends. Some of them are former church members. Some of them are just people I meet. And I want. I want us to grow in our dissatisfaction, but I want to make sure that our dissatisfaction of the church is actually productive and not destructive. So, so this is my, this is my suggestion here. And, and I, I've been having this conversation with, with um, a bunch of different groups of, of, of Christians trying to channel their dissatisfaction in a productive way. Right. So this is my suggestion. I said, I would tell people like, Hey, I understand you're dissatisfied. You have a right to be dissatisfied. You're frustrated. I'm frustrated too. This is not how it's meant to be. But let's make sure that your dissatisfaction is productive and not destructive, right? So there, there are three suggestions or, or three uh, words of advice that I would give a person if they want to make sure that their, their dissatisfaction is a healthy one. The first, the first um, encouragement is this, first suggestion is this, that you need to make sure that your expectations for the church is, is biblical and healthy, right? You got to make sure your expectations for the church is biblical and healthy. A lot of times, like disappointment, dis- disappointment comes from having expectations that are unmet. When reality doesn't meet your expectations, that's where disappointment comes in. And some people are disappointed with the church because their expectations are not biblical. You know, like they have expectations that the church would, would do certain things that, that, you know, um, maybe it's political expectations or maybe it's, it's selfish expectations or consumeristic expectations. They have certain expectations about the church that are not biblical, right? So, so if you want to make sure that your dissatisfaction is actually productive, you got to make sure your expectations are, are biblical, right? They're not selfish, immature, or politically motivated, that your expectations of the church should be what the Bible describes the church should be, right? I mean, 
look at Acts chapter 2. Look at how Acts chapter 2 describes the beautiful beginnings of the church. You know, it, it, it the, the church, you know, it says they were, um, uh, you know, Peter got up to preach and these people heard the word and they received the word and they were repent. They repented and they were baptized. 3000 people were added to their number that day. Right. Acts two uh, verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was, was filled. Um, uh, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now Acts chapter 2 describes how the church began and, and our expectations should be close to that, that we should, we should want the church to be close to that, right? It des- Acts 2 describes a loving community of people from, from all different backgrounds. They were radically changed by God. They were united by their love for each other and their commitment to God's mission. Right? The, the, these people, they, they, they formed this unique community where they trusted each other. They did life together. They loved each other. They were vulnerable to each other. You know, former enemies became brothers and sisters, and they 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 became they became family. They became part of God's adopted family. They they met together, it says daily in the public square. They even welcomed each other into their homes. Right? They they gathered to study the word together. They broke bread together. Every time they ate, they, they remembered Jesus, what Jesus did. It says they worship and they praise God together. And one of the things that, things that sticks out, because it's so unusual um, if we compare it to today, is that they joyfully sacrifice for each other. You know, it, it, the Bible says that they sold their possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. Right? There were no needs in the church because they, they, they sacrificed for one another. It says, and, and, you know, God blessed them. He was present with them. Right? And... The thing is, God God uses newly formed adopted spiritual family to radically change their whole community. And eventually, God used them to change the whole world. And, And we today, the church, like we are the direct spiritual descendants of that original family of faith. And the thing that frustrates me the most is that that we have fallen so far from that description that it is hard to believe we have any any connection with them at all. I mean, things today are so different than how the Bible describes the original church. So, so this is the thing. Like, if you read the Bible and how the Bible describes the church back then, and you become frustrated by how far short we've fallen from that that original plan and design, I think it's a good thing for you to be frustrated. You know, I share your frustration. I think you're in good company to be frustrated. But you got to make sure that your 
that your expectations are biblical. Like if you expect the church to be like that in Acts 2 and, and reality doesn't match up, it is, it is right to be frustrated. It is right to be disappointed. But if you have selfish or immature expectations or political, like the church should need to do this or whatever, though that's not healthy expectations. Those aren't biblical expectations, right? So if if you want if you want your disappointment to be productive, you gotta make sure that your expectations for the church are biblical and healthy. I mean, that's what I, I would say to a person who is struggling with with feeling frustrated or disappointed with the church, right? So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say to a person who's frustrated with the church is is that you need to make sure your dissatisfaction with the church is motivated by genuine love and care and concern, right? So, so, so much, so much of what I hear out there are just people are just critics, you know, they're trolls, they're haters. Like, like, don't just stand outside and be a critic because this is what a critic does, right? A critic, a critic doesn't love the thing that they're criticizing. The critic really doesn't care because once they're done criticizing this, they're just going to move on. And it's one thing to be dissatisfied with the church. Um, but your dissatisfaction is motivated by love and care and concern, you know, versus just being a critic. Like it's so easy to be a critic because it doesn't take any love at all. Right. Do you know, do you know who was one of the most frustrated people, persons uh, about the church? Right. Let me tell you the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul was hugely frustrated with the church. Uh, if you read the New Testament, man, a lot of his epistles contain his dissatisfaction and frustration about how the church is going. The 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 clearest uh, example is First Corinthians. You know, the book of First Corinthians is a long, scathing letter of rebuke and correction to a church that's lost its way. Right, the church in Corinth was was not doing well. There was compromise and sin and false teaching and all this stuff. And Paul writes the epistle to, to the Corinthians, the uh, first Corinthians, his first letter. And he doesn't pull any punches. He speaks very, very harshly with them. And, you know, he, 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 he rebukes them. He corrects them. He points out their sin. And guess what? It worked because because Paul gets through to them and they actually listen and they start to, to make some changes. And a little while later, Paul writes a follow-up letter. He writes 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually softens his tones and tone a little bit. And he and he um, you know, he says, Hey, you guys, you guys really listened to me. You guys did well. And he actually goes back and he apologizes for being so harsh with them in the first letter. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, this is, this is what he says. And, and listen for Paul's heart, right? His care, his love, his concern for the church. He says, he says um, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, For I wrote you, the first letter, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. He says, you guys, I, I, I know I, I, I was really harsh with you in that first letter. 
He says, but I want you to understand, I wrote you out of great distress. I didn't take joy in, in correcting you. You know, um, it anguished my heart to write those things. He says, I, 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 I cried with many tears when I wrote those words to you. Man, it just broke me apart. Like, I didn't want to do it. He says, I wrote you out, um, out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And we see Paul's heart as a spiritual father, as a brother. He's a, he was frustrated and dissatisfied, but his, his dissatisfaction of the church was motivated out of his love and his care and concern for the church. And so, so this is what I, I would say to a person who is, is dissatisfied and frustrated with how the church is going. I was like, you know what? If you see the church going astray, like, man, I want you to speak up. Like I want you, if you're if you see the church going going the wrong direction, like yes, that should frustrate you. Like you need to let your dissatisfaction show. But but don't be don't be a hater. Don't just be a critic or a troll. That you need to make sure your frustration is motivated out of a sense of genuine love and concern for the church. Right? I mean, th this reminds me of a story about St. Augustine. Uh, you know, St. Augustine lived during the 4th century, during a time when the, the church really lost its way. During, during St. Augustine's time, the church was becoming one with the Roman Empire to become this, this political entity. And, you know, the, the church was, was uniting and, and it was getting more corrupt. It, you know, it was, uh, they were uh, appointing bishops because of political reasons and people were taking advantage of all these different things. Um, and the people, the faithful Christians of, of that day saw the church losing its way becoming political and becoming corrupt and unfaithful to the gospel. And the people became dissatisfied and frustrated with the church. And, and, and some, some of the people wanted to, to just tear it down and, and light it on fire. And, and this is, this is what the people said to, to St. Augustine. They said, you know, the church, the church has become a whore. The church has become a whore. The church has become a whore to Rome, that we are we are whoring ourselves out for power and, and political favor with the Roman government. Right? The church has lost its way. We've become unfaithful to the gospel. The church has become a whore to Rome. And uh, St. Augustine, who was, you know, a, a bishop at the, of the church in that day, he couldn't deny, he couldn't deny that the church is, was becoming more and more corrupt. But this was his, his response. This is what St. Augustine is, um, was said to have replied. He says, the church may be a whore, but she is my mother. The church may be a whore, but she is my mother. And, and the fact is, like, Augustine couldn't deny that the church was unhealthy. He couldn't deny that the church was becoming more and more corrupt as it was becoming one with the Roman government. Right? But he didn't abandon the church. He loved the church. Right? The church, he saw the church as his mother. Right? He's like, yes, mom is not doing well. But we can't abandon mom right now. 
right? The church is the body and the bride of Christ. We can't abandon the bride of Christ. Yes, the bride has become unfaithful, but we need to we we need to fix this thing. Not just not just ignore it. Not just walk away. Not just light it on fire. Right? Augustine was saying, you know what? I I know it's a mess, but the church is my mother. Right? Let's let's figure out how we can make this better. Right? Let's you know let let's let's put down that Molotov cocktail and let's pick up a broom and let's let's figure out. Right? Like, don't abandon her. And I just want to tell people right now. I, I I you know what? There's always the church has gone through many many seasons of unfaithfulness. Like you think about uh, church in Europe, you think about the Holy Roman Empire, you think about the the, the corruption before the, the the Reformation. There's all these different times when the church has lost its way. But guess what? Throughout all those dark periods of the church, there was always a faithful remnant that says, you know what, we won't abandon the bride of Christ. Right? The church may be a whore, but she is our mother. And I just, I just love that. Like we don't, like we should ache for the church, at the condition of the church, right? Yes. Are should we be frustrated? Yes. Should should we be dissatisfied at the state of the church today? Yes. Right. But we got to make sure our dissatisfaction is motivated by a deep love, care, and concern for the church. So, don't turn your back. Don't just. Blow it up and light it on fire. Okay, so that's what I would tell. That's the second thing I would tell a person who is frustrated with the church. And then the third thing I would say is this: that if you want your dissatisfaction to actually be productive, you need to turn your dissatisfaction into a catalyst for change. Right. Like if if you're dissatisfied and frustrated at the church right now, great, but don't just complain about it. Don't just be a critic because critics never change anything. Critics never change anything. If you're dissatisfied with the state of the church today, I think that's a great sign. You know why? Because dissatisfaction is a necessary ingredient for change. Like no, nothing can change. No change can happen unless a person is dissatisfied with the status quo. Like nothing's going to change unless people be, start to become sick and tired of the way things are and that their dissatisfaction grows to the point where they just can't stand sitting around and doing nothing anymore. Right? And, and then it becomes a catalyst for change. Like dissatisfaction is the beginning of change. Dissatisfaction is a necessary ingredient for reformation and revolution. That's that's how we get things done, right? So when you see a person who's dissatisfied, like don't don't just tell them, "Hey, suck it up." It's like, no, no. Dissatisfaction is good. Dissatisfaction is the seed of revolution and reformation and change. It, it, it starts with people who say, you know what, enough is enough. Like I I can't stand it the way things are. And then finally, they say, hey, if 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 no one else is going to do anything about it, like I'm going to have to do something about it. Right? So, if you're dissatisfied, I would say great. 
Turn your dissatisfaction into a catalyst for change. Don't just complain. Like, actually get up and change something. Right? Because, because this is the thing. This is how... This is how movement starts. It starts with dissatisfaction. Like this is how the civil rights movement started. Like Rosa Parks, she was dissatisfied with being treated as a second-class citizen. Like, like, so she refused to go to the back of the bus. Right? It starts with dissatisfaction. Like this is how the Protestant Reformation started. Like Martin Luther, who who was a you know he was a leader in the in the church. He saw all the ways the church was becoming unfaithful and corrupt. So you know what he did? He sat down and he wrote 95 things, 95 areas in which he thought the church should change. We call it the, the, the 95 theses, right? It was a manifesto that he nailed to the door, the biggest church in town. And he says, hey, this is what needs to change, right? And, that's, and that, that was the birth. That was the birth of the Protestant Reformation. Because Martin Luther says, hey, someone's got to, someone's got to, like, Say enough is enough. So I, I would say this. If you want things to be better, don't just be a complainer. Become a reformer. You got to turn your dissatisfaction into a catalyst for change. And I think I think this is where a lot of young people are at. Is because they feel like, hey, the, the church is a mess. But what can I do? Like, what can I do to change things? It's like, man, there's a lot you can do. You can become a catalyst because one person can make a difference, right? One person could be could be that spark that would light that fire that would leave and lead to a a, a reformation. And, I mean, this reminds me of the story of of Nehemiah. Like Nehemiah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's he's just a cool guy, right? Because he he wasn't a he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was just a dude that served in in you know, as a royal servant to, to the king of Babylon, right? He was just a faithful guy. He had a great job. He, he was, he, you know, he was a servant. He had a cushy job. He was a servant to the most powerful person, man in the whole entire world, the king of Babylon, you know, and he was sitting there in the palace, you know, minding his own business when he found out that God's holy city, Jerusalem, was in ruins. Like he heard about it. He he never been there. But when he heard, he's like, man, I thought, I thought things were better by now. It's like, no, no, no. Um, the city is broken down. The walls are torn down. Its gates were burned with fire. And when Nehemiah heard about the state of God's holy city, the Bible says that he wept and he cried for days. Like he just broke his heart. He wept and he cried for days. And, and this led to a period of fasting, of mourning and praying. And, you know, he's just like, he couldn't eat. He, 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 he lost weight. Right. But eventually that dissatisfaction, that sadness, that mourning led to became a catalyst for action. Right. Because you know what he did after that, after, you know, after he wept and he cried, he was like, you know what? Man, if no one else is going to do anything about it, I, I guess I guess it's up to me. I I never even been to Jerusalem. I live hundreds of miles away, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to figure out how I can do it. Right. So you, you know what Nehemiah did? He not only prayed and fasted. He started making a plan to fix things, and it was amazing because this is the thing. He he made he made this master plan that says, you know what? If I had the opportunity, this is what I would do. 
right? He says, this, this is how much wood that um, we're going to need. This is how many men uh, we're going to need. This is how much money it's going to take. This is how, you know, um, I'm going to need uh, permits. Uh, I'm going to need these letters written to, to take to the governors. I'm going to need um, guards to protect me as I travel. I'm going to need a line of credit at the king's forest so that we could get wood to rebuild those gates. I'm going to need this. And he, and he, he actually had a plan. He says, you know what? And it's going to take X number of weeks or months to do. And he had this master plan. And when he had the opportunity, he, he actually asked for permission from the king to leave his cushy job and to go rebuild the, um, the city of Jerusalem. And the king was like, um, really? You, you, you want to do that? Well, what is it going to take? How much money? How much, uh, how much is it going to cost? How long is this going to be? And Nehemiah showed the king of Babylon. He showed him his plan. He says, king, this is what I'm going to need for you. Like he didn't just come out with it. He had this in his back pocket. So king, I'm glad you asked. This is what it's going to take. This is, I need you to write me some letters. I need you to give me a line of credit. I need you to give me some guards and some people so we could go take this caravan over there. I'm going to need, this is what I need for you. How long is it going to take? Okay, here's the plan. If you see this, this is how long it's going to take, right? And he, it was a catalyst. It started with him being sad and then he started praying, but then he says, I'm going to have to make a plan, you know? Um, you know the story. He he eventually gets to to Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he goes and he, he actually checks out the walls. He spent three days actually looking at the walls, and he's like, okay, man, it's yeah, it's pretty bad. And then he gathered up all the people in Jerusalem who were just completely satisfied. Right, the walls were torn down. They're like, hey, this is just the way it is. Why complain? They were just completely comfortable where they're at. And he gathered up all the people. And this is what he said, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, 18. He says this. He says to the people, do you see the trouble we are in? Right? Do you see? Like, don't you guys see? Do you guys not realize that we're living? Like, this is God's holy city. You see, it's in ruins. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. It's like, do you, do you actually see? What he did was he, he was dissatisfied, right? But the people were not. And... He he allowed his dissatisfaction to open the eyes of the people living there who got used to the walls being broken down. They got used to the city being in ruins. They didn't even see the mess anymore, right? And it was because Nehemiah, he was so passionate. He says, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its, its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And verse 18 says, I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And it says, this is how the, the people replied. He says, the people replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. This is, this is, this is what we're going to need. We're going to need people like Nehemiah who are dissatisfied, who are frustrated. And sometimes, maybe a lot of times, the revolutionary, the catalyst comes from outside um, outside the system, right? The prophet comes from outside the system, not in it. And 
maybe if you have a person right now in your church who's just frustrated and like they're like, how come the church is going this way? You know, a lot of times change doesn't come from the insiders, right? It's not the pastors or the people in the elders because they don't even see. They're living in it. They don't see. And and I would say to you, Pastor, if you have young people or people who are frustrated right now, maybe they, they're they the catalyst that God is sending you, right? But But I would say to those people who are dissatisfied, hey, you're complaining, you know, you're frustrated. Why don't you turn your frustration into a catalyst for change? Right? Don't just be sad about it. Don't just complain about it. Don't just give up and walk away. Right? If you're dissatisfied, we need you. Right? We need you to let your dissatisfaction grow in your heart to the point where it's unbearable for you to just sit back and do nothing. Like We need you to be frustrated enough to become a catalyst for change. And, and so that, that's that's what I would say. Like, like, like things are really bad right now. Things are really bad. There's no denying. Like, you know what? This is the lowest. I've been in ministry, I don't know, 20 something years. Like this is this is the lowest it's been since since I've been involved in ministry. What are our options right now? Like we could just ignore it, pretend, hey, it's just, it's just it's not that bad, is it? Right. Option one is, is ignore it. Option two is complain about it, you know, write blogs and, and say how bad it is. Right. Or option three, we need to try to fix it. Right. And I think I think there's only one option. We need to try to fix this thing. We can't just ignore it. We can't just complain about it. Like we 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 need to try to fix this. And, and if we're going to try to fix this thing, what we need is we need more people who become increasingly dissatisfied and increasingly frustrated with the state of the church, right? But we need their their frustration and their dissatisfaction to be a productive dissatisfaction, not a destructive. We, we need to give them a broom to fix it up, not, not a Molotov cocktail to burn it down, right? So the three things I would say to that we need for productive dissatisfaction is this. You need, you got to have biblical and healthy expectations for the church, right? You, um, the, you need to be motivated by a heart of love and care and concern for the church. It needs to come from love. And then, then it needs to be a catalyst for change, right? We need people who are committed enough to, to stop standing around, stop complaining, and will actually roll up their sleeves and get to work. Right. I mean, things are bad. Things are bad. And you, you may be dissatisfied and frustrated, but don't give up. Don't give up on uh, don't give up on the church. Like we need you. Right. Pastor, if you're discouraged and you're frustrated, I get it. I, I, I hear it so much. We need you. Right. We need you to turn your frustration and dissatisfaction. Make sure it's a productive one and not a destructive one. So, so this is my encouragement to you. Right? The church is a mess right now. We can't, we can't deny it. So let's pick up a broom. Let's get to work. Right? And, and let's, let's show others. Let's show others how they could put down their Molotov cocktails and to pick up a broom. Like, let, let's be like Nehemiah. Let's turn our dissatisfaction into a catalyst for change. Because that's how reformations, that's how 
That's how revolutions are formed, right? It starts with dissatisfaction. So the question is, can you be dissatisfaction? Yes. Can you be dissatisfied? Yes, you should be. We we should be dissatisfied right now because this is not how God intended the church to be. But we got to make sure our dissatisfaction is a healthy dissatisfaction, a productive dissatisfaction, and not a destructive dissatisfaction. Thank you for listening to the Struggling Pastors podcast. My name is Tian Doan, and I hope this has been helpful to you. If you found it helpful, I appreciate if you would share this podcast with a fellow struggling pastor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me close with a Bible verse, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Pastor, do not give up. Until next time, God bless you.